Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the SI Media Podcast. I am your host, Jimmy Traina, back for another week. Two guests this week. We will kick things off with something that has nothing to do with sports, although we do talk about Friday Night Lights a little bit. And uh, the first guest will be the chief TV critic for Rolling Stone, Alan Sepinwall. If you know The Sopranos, if you know Breaking Bad, you're familiar with Alan's brilliant recaps. He has a book coming out in January on The Sopranos. I didn't want to wait until January when he does a million interviews to talk about what I think is the best show ever. So I have him on today. And uh, Alan was great. We do talk about The Sopranos a lot. But before we got into The Sopranos, we did talk about what it is like to be a TV critic, how the job works for him, how much TV he watches. And then we talked about, uh, you know, the best sports show of all time. He, he has a top 100 ranking. We looked at his top 10. Uh, talked a little bit about you know what's going on with broadcast television. Will it survive? He had some very interesting thought, thoughts about Fox, um, which if you're in the sports stratosphere, you'll you'll find interesting. Uh, go, went through what his worst show ever is, uh, and and we talked a, a lot about The Sopranos, The OC, Friday Night Lights. So big TV talk in that first interview with Alan Sepinwall, and then after that. We do get into sports media news with Andrew Marchand, the sports media columnist for the New York Post. And we talked about Monday Night Football's booth, NFL ratings, the glut of gambling shows that have hit the airwaves, 
And uh, for all the New Yorkers and Mike Francesa fans out there, we we talked a lot about Mike's app. So you have uh, non-sports in the first half of the SI Media Podcast, sports news in the second half of this edition of the Sports Illustrated Media Podcast. And we kick things off right now with Alan Teppenwall. All right, joining me now, very excited for this interview. He is the, I think, top TV writer out there in the country. He is the chief TV critic for Rolling Stone, Alan Sepinwall. Alan, thank you very much for coming on. How are you? Uh, it's my pleasure, Jimmy. How are you doing? I'm well, and um, I reached out to Alan to come on because I saw he has a book about The Sopranos coming out. It's called The Sopranos Sessions. It's out January 8th, so save some of that Christmas money and reserve some of those Amazon gift cards for the Sopranos sessions on January 8th before we, and I used to, I have to say, I used to read your Sopranos recaps in the, in the star ledger for a long time. So, uh, I have a lot to discuss with the Sopranos before we get to the Sopranos, just a couple of things. So the Emmys were taping this Tuesday, late Tuesday afternoon. The Emmys were last night. Just quickly, your overall thoughts on, on the telecast and the awards that were handed out. The telecast was pretty dire. I think, you know, uh, Colin, Jost and Michael Che had done some interviews leading up to it, expressing a very clear lack of enthusiasm for doing it, and that came across in the actual show itself. So most of their comedy bits didn't work, other than the Reparation Emmys film bit. Um, All the banter was pretty awful. So as a TV show, it was not good, other than some of the speeches and things like the director who proposed to his girlfriend in the middle of his acceptance speech. But I liked seeing some of the awards. I liked seeing the Americans get a couple of Emmys on its way out the door. That's one of the great shows of the last 15, 20 years that not a lot of people watched. So it's good to have that marked down in the historical record. Uh, I would like to see Atlanta win something, anything last night. But, you know, there's a lot of good TV out there, and it's hard to recognize everything and everyone. Does it seem like, and you, you just said it, there's a lot of good TV out there. Does it seem like we almost need... To have it all lumped in, it seems, network, cable, Netflix, Amazon, streaming, does seem, for me, and I, you know, maybe it's just, I don't know, I'm old enough, it does seem a little overwhelming. Um, Oh, it's very overwhelming. Yeah. It's, you know, and this is literally my job. My job is only to watch (laughs) TV and write about television. So, you know, I'm not really dealing with other things other than my life as a husband and a parent and, you know, and a friend, but I'm overwhelmed. I don't have enough time to watch all of it, so... For someone for whom this is not their primary task during the day, I don't even know how you would hope to get through all of the things that you might find interesting. All right, so since since you went there, I, I the job of a TV critic is fascinating to me. Let's start with how how much TV a day are you watching, and um, is everything that you watch for your job, or is it? You watch stuff because you have to review it, and then you have like your shows for pleasure time. Like, what? How does it break down on a on a daily right. basis for you? It varies day to day, so I can't give you like an exact total. Today, for instance, I think I've watched uh, two hours of TV so far. It's mainly been a writing day, but when I get off the phone with you, I'm probably going to watch a bunch of things. Um, but I, at a minimum, I'm probably watching about six hours a day. That's and a, then, I would have expected more. I have to say, it doesn't seem great. Well, you have to write though, so. Yeah, no, but I'm saying that's the minimum. There's some days where I'm just watching screeners from the time I come into the office until the time I leave, and then again after the kids go to bed. Mm -hmm. So there can be a lot of it, and but some days I have to write. 
And to answer the question in terms of what's for pleasure and what's for work, everything on some level is for work in that I can always turn something I've watched into a column. One of the first things I pitched my editor on when I came to Rolling Stone was that the 20th anniversary or 30th anniversary of Midnight Run was coming, and I really wanted to write something about it. And so I was able to justify watching Midnight Run again for pleasure, but then for work. Um, so it varies, but there's definitely a sense of guilt I get sometimes where I'm watching something and I realize there's no way I can do anything writing-wise about this, so this is just a waste of time, except that I'm kind of enjoying it. And do you ever... How, how often do you get like a... I, I just can't watch any more TV right now. I need, I need to take a break. There's some of that. You know, I, I mostly work from home, but I commute into, into the city a few times a month. And when I do, I download both a bunch of TV episodes onto my phone and some movies. And I inevitably find myself like, all right, I'm just going to watch a movie now. I need, I need a break from TV for the hour it's going to take me yeah. to get across the river. Now, I know... Please don't hang up the phone when I say this. I, I was not a Breaking Bad viewer. I, I I know it's a problem. I will watch it at some point in my life. It's just one of those things that escape me. But I know that your Breaking Bad recaps were, I know when I, you know, the people in the SI office would devour them and eat them up and they were like a cult thing. Your Sopranos recaps were the same way. What fascinated me is how quickly you were able to turn those around. Uh, I, I know for the Sopranos specifically. Uh, is it... Is it just natural to you where you can watch a show, especially a show like The Sopranos, and I and I, I assume Breaking Bad is like this, where it's complicated. It's not the Brady Bunch. And you can then just get right on your keyboard and start banging out a review that quickly? Or do you, do you need any time to process what you've just watched? Well, I mean, you know, to make you be a little bit less impressed with me, <laughs> a lot of those Sopranos recaps and the Breaking Bad recaps that wound up in, in my book, Breaking Bad 101, uh, were ones that I'd written with screeners. I think there's like three okay. episodes in the entire run of Breaking Bad, and they were all at the end, that they did not give to us in advance. So I had time, mostly. But late in the run of The Sopranos, for the second half of Mad Men, for the last several years of Game of Thrones, for certain shows, they don't give us episodes in advance anymore. And for those, it's, you know, it, it's sort of like being a sports writer having to do a gamer. You just, you have a certain amount of time in which to get it done, not even necessarily to hit a newspaper deadline, but just to hit a, I'm going to fall asleep soon, and this is about to become incoherent, so I need to finish a deadline. And so I've trained myself under those circumstances to be like, all right, you're going to take 10 minutes, you're going to walk around, you're going to think about exactly what you're going to want to say, right. and then you have to sit down and you have to start writing and you have to go until you stop. So let me ask you, you said you would get screeners for Breaking Bad and The Sopranos. Did you? I know my personality, I would have a hard time and I know it's the job and you have to do it and there's ethics and morals involved. But if I would have seen, you know, Richie, excuse me, if I would have seen Janice shoot Richie, I, I don't know if I would have been able to keep my mouth. That would have had to have been someone I've, I would have had to call a text and be like, you're not even going to believe what you're going to see tonight. Was it ever difficult for you to watch something as explosive as those shows and keep it all to yourself for a period of time? Well, either I watch something like that with my wife. Um, Janice shot Richie the night we got married. We, oh. we were back at the hotel. We had just, like, finished, you know, opening up all the presents and cataloging, you know, who we were going to write the thank yous to. And we just said, oh, hey, The Sopranos is on. Let's watch that. And so 
Janice shot Richie right uh, after we'd gotten married, and that seemed like a good omen. But <laughs> in general, it's like I can either talk about it with her, or in most cases, I know other TV critics who are getting the stuff at the same time I do. And so I'll start sending out texts and emails saying, let me know when you've seen this so we can talk about it. So yeah. I'm almost never in danger of feeling like I have to go on Twitter to blab about something. Do, do you... When you've given a show a bad review, do you ever hear from either the actors in the show? I'm sure you hear from the, you know, maybe the producers or the network or something like that. You ever hear from actors specifically about a rough review? Occasionally. Not often, because for the most part, uh, you know, I tend to save my most negative stuff for, like, the creators and showrunners of these shows anyway, because I think most of the time when things go awry, it's more of a writing choice than because somebody's a bad actor or whatever, but I have on a couple of occasions. I know, I remember there was one time an actor started following me on Twitter because I had said something nice about his performance in an episode of a show, and then like uh, a couple weeks later, I wrote something else, not knocking the actor, but complaining about the character, and the actor tweets at me, not cool, Alan, and he immediately unfollowed <laughs> me right there. It so is, the social media age has made it very different in that respect. It is. I mean, just listening to you give these answers, and it, it is amazing the similarities between sports writing and and being a TV critic because it's the same oh, thing. Sure. You know, like I'll I'll you know compliment an athlete about a good game or whatever, and then when there's a bad game, and you know then it doesn't go over so well. So it's uh, the similarities, the parallels there are, are very interesting. I mean, the, the good the good thing is I've been able to stay a fan of television and a fan of certain shows in a way that every one of my sports writer friends has taught me I would not be able to do had I gone into sports writing. I, I want to get into some specific shows, and then obviously we're going to do a lot on The Sopranos. Uh, but getting back to where we started here with the Emmys, what, what is your sort of your take on the state of broadcast television? Do you Are you one of these, it's going to be over soon, do you think the quality is still there? Um, I, I know Fox, for instance, they're going to mostly all live. They, they're doing Thursday night football. They've got wrestling now on Friday nights. Uh, broadcast television, where, where do you, how do you sum it up right now and over the next, I don't know, five, ten years, where do you see it? I mean, I've been doing this about 22 years now, and I remember people were asking these questions when I started, uh, which doesn't mean that we're not closer to one of them going out of business, because I think it probably will happen sometime in the next 10 years, and it will probably be Fox, um, because they're selling their studio assets to Disney, and the way that the business works these days, if you don't have shows that you yourself own, you can't make money anymore, so it's going to be very difficult for them, which is why they're going to be doing a lot more sports and a lot more well, live programs. I mean, what you just said is fascinating from a sports perspective, because if Fox goes out of business in the next t- 10 years, sometime in the next 10 years, I mean, they have tons of sports rights, MLB, NFL, um, you know, I think they do, they have stuff with um, uh, the wrestling, they have a lot of sports on the Fox network, so that would be... That would throw at, the, a, at, at the minimum, they will cease to operate the way we think of a broadcast network. It could just turn into FS1, but over the air, or they could just reassign those rights to FS1. Gotta help us all. This, this is case. not necessarily my specialty, but yeah. just, they're not going to be able to operate the way you and I grew up thinking about a broadcast. Network. You're scaring a lot of people if you say it'll turn into FS1 in the sports world. That is, <laughs> that is not. It's not what you want to hear. Believe me, that is. It's a hot mess right there. Um, so you think, but overall, you think broadcast people it people want to say it'll be dead, but you think it'll keep going. I don't think it's 
going to be dead. It's just it's harder for them because, you know, they, they have a different business model. They depend on ad revenue in a way that a lot of other people don't, but they've also moved towards owning their shows. And so you can have something like CBS, you know, Hawaii Five O is going to run forever, not because they make much money on it here in America, but because it's a huge show that they can sell internationally and yeah. make money on it there. Yeah. So it's just sort of you're, find, you're finding change in different cushions under the couch these days than you used to before. Um, and for the most part, they're, they're not really trying to be as ambitious as cable or streaming are. So occasionally you will find a great network show like The Good Place, which is coming back in a few weeks to NBC. Mm. But most of the really interesting stuff that's happening in television is happening away from broadcast. Well, I, I sort of have this theory, and maybe you'll blow it up right now because obviously this is what you do. But it does seem like when a show hits, I don't know, let's say five years the the drop is so severe after five years, but you have a lot of these shows that just keep going and going and going. Can you think of a show? Well, first of all, do you agree with that statement? Like, is anything ever better in the you know year six, seven, or eight than it was in one, two, or three? It can be. It's rare. Yeah. You're definitely right that it's hard to do because you've sort of you've so, you've told the same kinds of stories over and over. You've explored the characters as well as you can, and occasionally you will get something. Um, you know, I think, for instance, just The Sopranos, that very last season they did might be the best season that they did. Right. Um, and, and they did a lot of others. And that's technically the seventh season of the show. I do feel like it's, uh, yeah, I should have been more specific. I feel like my theory is more for sitcoms than dramas. Um, no, sitcoms yeah. definitely, but, you yeah. know, so, sometimes you will get lucky and, for instance, like, an actor will leave. So, cheers if Shelley Long had stayed, you know, past that fifth year, probably would have run into trouble because there's just so much you can do with that relationship. But she left, and it gave him a chance to basically start over from scratch. Right. And then some of my favorite Cheers stuff is in, you know, the Kirstie Alley years of that show. Right. Um, although The Office, when Michael Scott left, Steve Carell complete debacle. Yeah, yeah no, it's, yeah. it's hard. Rough. Um, give, me the, give me three shows, wherever they are, broadcast, Netflix, wherever. Three shows everybody should be watching right now. All right, well... Right now is sort of an interesting question because, you know, the other day I was watching an episode of Quantum Leap that was 30 years old, but it's on Hulu, so it's something that I could be watching right <laughs> I mean, now. I mean something that's in its first run now. In its first run now. Okay, that's fair. Um, I would say BoJack Horseman on Netflix is the very best show that Netflix does, and Netflix has approximately 8,000 shows. Yep. Uh, it's wonderful. It's strange. It's sad. It's funny. Uh, it kind of does everything a TV show can do. Um, I love that one a lot. Better Call Saul, which is the Breaking Bad spinoff. Yep. They're in the middle of their fourth season. It's great. It's a show that I think almost everyone thought was a terrible idea. And now you will find people who think it might be better than Breaking Bad, which I didn't necessarily know was possible. And I've also found people who watch it without ever having seen Breaking Bad. So that's a good sign. And the other one would probably be Atlanta, which, again, I wish had won some Emmys last night. But that's a show that's really operating on a, just another level from almost every other half hour on TV right now. Now, do you do you have time? Do you have a, do you get to watch in this insane, hard to believe world we live in, uh, cable news or news magazine program? You know, sixty minutes, a uh, Bill Maher, or does that stuff fall by the wayside for you? Or you take it all and you watch everything. Uh, no, no, no. I definitely i have I've done a lot of triage over the years. So <laughs> I used to watch reality TV. Now I don't. There's no time for that. 
I don't watch the news, both because there's no time for it, and also, frankly, just the news upsets yeah. me too much these days, yeah. uh, as much for the way they cover things as for you know the things that are being covered. Right. Um, even sports, I love sports. I watch so much less of the Yankees, of the Knicks, of the Giants than uh, I used to, although in the case of the Giants and the Knicks these days, that's probably a good thing. I was going to say, uh, you right. haven't had to watch the Knicks for about 20 years, unfortunately. So. Uh, yeah, but yeah, it's definitely a case of like, you know, can I spend three hours watching a sporting event when that co- time could be devoted to watching, you know, five or six episodes of something? Right. All right, we will get to The Sopranos. Two, two more quick ones. So since you just mentioned, give me Alan Sepinwall's best sports shows of all. Not, I, I'm talking, you know, either a Friday Night Lights, a sports night, a best sports TV show. No, it's Friday Night Lights. I think that's pretty clearly it. it. It's in the running for best high school show, too, although there's some other competitors there. But just the, the number of things that show was able to do and the, the great performances and, you know, if I get to talking too, too much about it with you, Jimmy, I will start choking up. So Yeah, I, I'm the same probably, way. I'm the same way. It's probably safer to move on, but yeah. I love Friday Night Lights, even and maybe especially the season where Landry killed all those people. You know, here's the thing. I am I I thought am I the only person to think that that season was that bad? It's it's not good. I, okay, but I don't know. Like to me, it didn't ruin the show for me as as I've heard some people say. And I don't know. It, I I'm not saying it has, it's good. It has moments, and they were able to come back from it in a right. way that almost no show ever has from a season that was that bad. But it's it's still. Seasons one, three, four, and five right. are Hall of Fame, and you know, season two is. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think of like a really bad ball player. Yeah, it happens. Mel Hall. Yeah, I don't know. it happens. It happens. I just, to me, like if 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 Kyle Chandler and Connie Britton are in it, I can't say it's all bad. But sure. That, no. No. Yeah. And there's a couple episodes in there that are really good. Yeah. Uh, it's funny you mentioned teen shows because I knew you had a book about Breaking Bad. And you had a book, The Top 100, which I'll get into in a moment. But I didn't realize that you did a book called, and I love this so much, (laughs) Stop Being a Hater and Learn to Love the O.C. I I, mean, I thought I I couldn't like that. For a long time, that was the only book I'd ever written. I thought I couldn't like you anymore. And then I saw that and I'm like, now here's here's the thing, since we just talked about Friday Night Lights. Who is the better... I, I'm just going to say this. When I, you know, I'm a grown man, and when I watched the OC, I wanted Sandy and Kirsten to adopt me. I wanted them sure, to be. Sure, of course, everyone did. Everyone but who, did. who? But what now? But who's better, them or Coach and um, Mrs. Taylor? Uh, I would say, in terms of like, if I had to choose a family to be adopted yes. into, it would be the Cohens. Um, just because, like, I love Coach Taylor, but he can be kind of a stubborn pig <laughs> and frustrating, and he might just decide to co- start calling me by a different name, and he, there's constant stress in that house and financial pressures and everything else, right. whereas, like, things are pretty sweet over there in Newport for, for Sandy and Kiki, and, I, you know, I wouldn't mind staying in that pool house. I'd be okay. I was going to say, they take Ryan in and give him, you know... A, a, a place that's nicer than anything I've ever lived in, that's for sure. Yeah. And Sandy is just a more, like, even-keeled guy than yeah. Eric Taylor, and I think I would thrive better under that particular Kir- uh, surrogate parentship. Kirsten did have the drinking problem. It's the one thing there, but, you know. Yes. Now, where do you put... 
where do you put 90210 in the pantheon here? Do you, is it up there with the OC and Friday Night Lights, or do you think it's does not I, is not worthy? I, I would say, you know, I was like the same year in high school as the kids from West Beverly. Right, so me of too. Of course, I watched yeah. that show for a while. Yep. Um, I would say, like, there are certain shows in the genre that are genuinely good, and Friday Night Lights and the OC in season one, and Buffy and some others are up there. Uh, 90210 is one I feel nostalgic for, but I don't know that it was ever all that good. <laughs> but it was the first. It was the it first. It was the first in a while. Yeah. I mean, there'd been, you know, in the 70s, there was White Shadow. There'd been a few others. But definitely, that. I, what was funny was that year that 90210 debuted, it was like the networks rediscovered the high school show. Because there were five or six of them. If, and if one, I, of them was, one of them was the Ferris Bueller spinoff. Right. One of them was the Ferris Bueller ripoff, Parker Lewis Can't Lose, which was better than Ferris Bueller. <laughs> one was a musical called Hull High. I'm forgetting one. And then one was 90210, which was the afterthought. And it's the one right. that wound up running, you know, 12 years. If I'm not mistaken, what, I think what, didn't Fox debut it in the summer and that's how they got all the kids to watch it? And no, that, no, no. They oh, debuted okay. it in the fall. And then after the first season, they said, you know what? Stay in production. Oh, okay. Yeah, take yeah. some episodes where Brandon gets a job at the beach club. Right. And that's when the show started to become catch on. Right. Because kids watched it over the summer and it just was like there wasn't a rerun of nine oh two one oh right for about right. six months. Right, exactly. Yeah. And then Psycho Emily Valentine came on and then that, that was the whole yeah, the beach. Yeah. Exactly right. right. Uh God, I could talk I I could do a whole podcast just the O C Friday Night Lights and Nine Oh Two and Oh, but I guess <laughs> we should be. All right. Before the Sopranos, I wanted to read so you did a book on your top one hundred. Yeah, and your top, and your top ten: Simpsons, Sopranos, The Wire, Cheers, Breaking Bad. That's five. Six Mad Men, seven Seinfeld, eight I Love Lucy, nine Deadwood, ten All in the Family. Yes. Would okay. Now, when I saw that list, the the one thing that jumped out to me was Deadwood in the top ten. I didn't watch it, but I just feel like in the history of television, there's a you know I've more iconic shows. Um, but it's not about what's the most iconic shows. It's right. about what are the best shows. Right. So you put Deadwood in your top ten and Seinfeld at seven, uh, yes. which is, I guess, so you have Simpsons and Cheers as better sitcoms than Seinfeld. Yes. Uh, it, would you, it, well, when you put this book out, was the Seinfeld the most polarizing um, entry at seven, or what did were people upset about something else more than Seinfeld? I, I, there was a lot of polarization just about the Simpsons being at number one because we got a lot of heat of oh, it hasn't been good in fifteen years, hasn't right. been good in twenty years. That drags the average down, and I'm like Willie Mays falling down in the outfield when he played for the Mets doesn't make him, you know, doesn't stop him from being the greatest all around right. player in baseball history. Right. You know, right. that first decade is really all you need, and I I think the show is still capable of being good uh, a fair amount of the time, but it doesn't matter. Because that first decade is so perfect. Yeah. Uh, and then you have other notables that I thought. Larry Sanders at 16. Uh, the amount of people who tell me they've never seen the Larry Sanders show blows my mind away. It's on HBO Go, and it holds up. I watched it, the whole series, I think two years ago. It still holds up, the Larry Sanders show. So yeah. anyone who has not seen it should watch that. Um, Curb at 21. Uh, now, let me. I've said this before. I'm curious for your take. In my opinion... Peak Curb seasons, maybe two, three, four, are better than peak Seinfeld. Am I crazy? You might. I don't. I don't know that you're crazy. I think I probably have laughed harder at bits on Curb yeah. than I have at all, but a couple of things on Seinfeld. Mm -hmm. Like Curb, when it's really funny, is insane. Yes. Uh, but Curb is also capable of going into really long slumps. Like the most recent season they did, I thought was 
was pretty not good. Um, you know, plus it also gets dinged a little bit because it's just them using the Seinfeld formula again, so it doesn't get the same points for originality. Mm. But it's no, uh, both of those are great, and I love seeing Larry David just like George Costanza with money. And no yeah. accountability yeah. is a delightful thing. Well, I thought the seasons when he had, and I, as I said, my statement was out peak Seinfeld versus peak Curb because those seasons, early seasons of Curb, when he has um, Jason Alexander on, is maybe they're going to work together, and then he goes to Julia Louis Dreyfus. I mean, those are as good as it gets for me for Curb. I thought, yeah, no, those, and, yeah. and the Seinfeld reunion season was kind of neat in that it allowed yeah. him to fix a thing he screwed up with the Seinfeld finale right. by saying. All right, let's do it over again. Right, and they and they gave you just enough of that Seinfeld reunion for it to feel funny. But I I don't know that if he'd actually done a whole half hour hour long Seinfeld reunion, it would have been good all these years later. Yeah. So it was just right. And then you had Friday Night Lights at thirty, which I love seeing that, and The Office at fifty two, which I thought hmm, could have been a little higher. No, I think it's it, it just inconsistency was was one of the things that ultimately wound up plaguing that. Like there's. There's maybe three years where The Office is operating at about as high a level as, as a network sitcom can be. Right. But then there's a, just a lot of other stuff that's kind of a mess, even before Michael leaves. All right. All right. All right. Let's get to The Sopranos. So The Sopranos Sessions comes out January 8th. You want to just give us a quick synopsis of what we could expect in the book, and then we'll get into the show. All right. So uh, Matt Zeller-Seitz, who worked at the Star-Ledger with me covering the TV beat for the entire time that the show was on, uh, we've come together. It's got three sections. One is essays on every episode, so it's basically recaps of the show, almost all of them written brand new for the book. We went back, we rewatched the entire series in order to do this, and good Lord, does it hold up. Yep. That's great. Then there's a long uh, series of interviews we did with David Chase uh, earlier this year, um, just covering everything about the show from the beginning to the very end of it and even beyond that. Um, so we talked with him at length about everything you might expect. And then towards the back of it, there's some archival material of stuff we wrote for the Star-Ledger when it was on to give you know people who either don't, didn't watch it at the time mm-hmm. or it's just been a while a feeling of what it was like, what a phenomenon the show was you know, from 1999 to 2007. I, I hate to start with this question, but... Do, would we see any sort of reboot movie one-off if James Gandolfini were still with us? Do you think we would have, or, or do you think he, David Chase, put it to bed for good and that was it? I know they're doing the prequel, but I'm talking about. Not- yeah, yeah, no, he's do, he's doing the prequel set in the '60s. I, you know, the day after the show aired, I interviewed him, which he'd sort of reluctantly agreed to a year before, and then was stuck with that, and you know, even though he didn't want to do it. Uh, and he did not sound at all enthusiastic at the time about the idea of revisiting the show uh, because he felt like he had told the story and it was done. Um, you know, and then when Jim died, that that was the end of that anyway. But, uh, yeah, I just, it's, it would be hard to see it. The only, ver- the only way he ever suggested he might want to do it is some kind of, like, you know, lost adventure of Tony Soprano where, like, you see something that happened between, you know, season three and season four, and, you know, mm-hmm. Ralphie is being a pain in his butt or whatever. Right. But again, I just, I don't feel like that would be workable enough to be worth the bother, and it would just sort of you know, it would have sullied the show's legacy. It also would have, it also would have in a way, he would have had then had to explain the series finale, which I don't think he ever wants to do. Yeah, if if it was if it took place after, he would have had to explain that. Yeah. Yes, and a lot of people, you know, it, it comes down to did Tony die or not die? Tony could have been shot and not died. I mean, it's you know. 
always a possibility. There's, there's, there are all kinds of possibilities, many of which may, in fact, be discussed in the pages of the Soprano Sessions, which is available for pre-order right now, <laughs> wherever books are sold. Tell me, I hope, I hope this isn't one of those you have to buy the book to find out. Tell me how you think the death of Nancy Marchand, who played Livia, Tony's mother, how do you think that affected, I don't know, sto- storylines maybe or, or, or direction the show was maybe supposed to go in? Or was, did they always, did that affect the show even at all? affected the show because they lost Livia, who was one of the great characters on the show, and you know, you know, at worst, the third best performance on the show after Gandolfini and Edie Falco. So, you know, that's like that's an iconic character right there, and the idea of Tony going up against his mother, like as great as the show was after the first season, there will never be an enemy for him that could top that. Right. So, but they had already started to marginalize her. If you go back and you watch the second season, she's not in it a lot. Uh, in part because Nancy was getting sicker, but also just because they realized there's only so much we can do and we can't keep revisiting this. So there might have come a point anyway where you know they killed off Livia or they marginalized her even further than they had there. It's just unfortunate that it happened when it happened. Um, and you know because they had a whole plan for the third season where, if you remember, at the end of season two, Livia gets arrested mm-hmm. using stolen airline tickets that Tony gave her yep. from the Scatino bust out. Yep. And so season three was largely going to be about Tony has to kiss up to his mother so she won't testify against him. And Ah. I think that would have been a really good storyline and very juicy and uncomfortable and funny. And they didn't get to do that. Absolutely. Yeah, that does that definitely. Now, season, I always get years. Was season three the Richie April year or that that was season two? Season two was Richie Richie April. Season two, Ralphie. Ralphie's three. Right. Okay. Right. Interesting. Yeah, because it did feel like. In a way, it did feel like Ralphie sort of maybe came in a little bit. Um, it wasn't smooth, I thought, when he first came in. And I thought maybe it had to do with maybe them rewriting some stuff or, you know, with Nancy. No, it, it was li- like, it's, it's hilarious because Richie April gets this big dramatic, like, movie villain entrance. And then Ralphie just walks into Tony's kitchen. Right. And, like, and acts like he's always been there. Right, right, right. Exactly. And they were both so great. Joey Panta and the guy who played Richie, they were, they were Yeah, David great. Proval. Yeah. They're, no, they're, they're both really good, and I think yeah. the way Chase explained it to us was he realized at a certain point, like, not everyone needs a big introduction, and Joey Pants will be good enough that it won't matter. So as as good as The Sopranos is, you have it's your second best show of all time, best yes. drama. I love it, too. Every every Everyone likes to nitpick a lot, you know, whether people... Sure. I know people didn't like... A, I know some people who complained about the dream episodes when Tony would have one of his dreams and the whole episode was that. Uh, the Columbus Day episode people um, sometimes had a problem with. And then, of course... Everyone has a problem with Columbus Day yeah. episode. It's not good. And uh, and Tony never going after Dr. Melfi's rapist was a big... Give me your... If you had to name your number one beef with the show, what would it be? Um, it's it's funny because it's definitely it's a less consistent great show than some of the ones that influence. You know, Breaking Bad is kind of virtually flawless, very much more consistent episode to episode, season to season. Sopranos is really all over the map, and that was the case even when I went back and rewatched it. Although it's definitely when you look at it now, all these years later, and you know what's coming, a lot of the things that seemed annoying at the time are less so. Um, like some of the stuff with Furio in season four, but. I do think that it has a tendency to sometimes, like, you know, in the middle of certain seasons, wander a little far afield of Tony and, you know, go a little too far down the bench to some of the supporting characters who are just simply not as compelling as him or Carmella 
or Melfi or some of the others. But overall, I was really I was very pleasantly surprised because Matt and I committed to doing this book before we had revisited the show really at all in a long time, and we thought, well, God, what if we watch it and it stinks, or what if we watch <laughs> it and it just seems really cliched because the rest of TV has copied it, and that wasn't the case at no, all. No, not at all. Because I I'll I'll go back and watch an episode here and there and. I mean, Gandolfini is magic. Yeah. You know, there for a long time we've sort of talked about it as like, oh, you know, there's this drama Mount Rushmore, and there's Gandolfini, and there's John Hamm, and there's Brian Cranston, and you know, you know, pick, pick your fourth. And with all due respect to Cranston and Hamm, who are amazing, like Gandolfini is in a class by himself. I, I watched him do so many things over the course of this rewatch and then writing the book that just left me, you know, shook by and- how good he. I agree with that 100%, and I also feel that way about Edie Falco. Um, oh, she's amazing. Yeah. And, that's, and it's funny, because if you look at basically every show that copied The Sopranos, there's always, like, the wife who is, you know, opposing what the main character is doing, and even though they're in the objectionably, objectively correct position and the one that we should be sympathizing for, fans of those shows all hated the wives. And that was really not the case with Carmela, and I think a lot of that is just... Edie was so good right. that you couldn't hate her because you sort of you had to feel for what Carmela was going through. And it's also when you see interviews with Edie Falco, she's obviously nothing like Carmela. And I don't know, I, I think maybe because I come from a big, loud, annoying, crazy Italian family <laughs> to, to see how she I mean, she could have been a member of that family. And, and then you see Edie being interviewed and she's the complete opposite way. It shows you. I mean. She would say, I think she would have the quote where she said, once she got the hair done and put on the nails, she became Carmella. And, but the way she went toe to toe with James Gandolfini in every episode, I, it was really something to see. No, yeah, she's amazing. The season four finale where she kicks him out of the house is like one of the, like, if you want to show someone what television right. can be in terms of acting, you show them that. Yep. White caps, if anyone wants to go look it yeah. up on uh, HBO Go. Is there. I don't want you to give the whole book away, but is there give is there something we don't know about the Sopranos? What, is there anything left that we may be surprised to find out? Is there anything you can share with us? Like what? in talking with David Chase, a couple things came up that I had never heard before. One of them was, uh, do you remember uh, one of the wise guys, Eugene Ponacorvo? He's the one who hangs himself. Okay. Eventually. Yes, he wants to go to Florida, right? And Tony won't yeah. let him. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I uh, just. Like, if you watch season three, the actor who played Eugene, his name is Robert Fennaro, he's listed in the cast credits, which always seemed weird to me as a TV nerd, because it's a really minor role, especially at that point. And so I sat down with David Chase to talk about that season. I said, well, why is, why is Fennaro in the credits? He said, because we originally cast him as Ralphie, and it didn't work out, and we brought in Joey Pants. Wow. Huh. That's, I mean... So they're so completely different. I, I can't yep. even. Wow. I remember. I think they, were, they originally conceived of Ralphie because Fennaro's a big guy. He's as tall as Gandolfini. Right. Of like, here's someone who's finally like a physical match for Tony. And that's part of what annoys him. And then it, for whatever reason, they didn't feel it was working. They put him in a different role and brought in Joey Pants, who's a very right. small guy. And he was just brilliant in a different way. I can't imagine anyone else doing that scene when, when Ralphie ends up ultimately getting killed by Tony, but oh my God. Um, just, you know, making the eggs and pie oh my and yes. oh man. I, I remember the scene and, and that storyline because I actually went to high school with the woman who plays played his wife in that episode on the show, so that I always remember um, that, that character and he wanted to go to Florida and Tony wouldn't let him. 
Um, could I, you know, there's this thing going on now. I've talked about this before, um, where it seems to be the thing now to to write these think pieces on. You know, it's uncomfortable to watch this show. There's a thing about Friends. Oh, could Friends be, you know, friend, it's uncomfortable to watch Friends in the Me Too era. It's uncomfortable to watch The Office in the Me Too era. Yeah. Could the Sopranos, forget the, take out me, I mean, you could put the Me Too or put it to the side, but could the Sopranos be made and air exactly how it was then today? Uh, this reminds me, somebody once asked uh, Jerry Seinfeld when Seinfeld was ending, like, you know, um, so, something about like could you know could Seinfeld be made today? And he says, "Well, his friends on." And the interviewer says, "Yes." He's like, "Well, how was friends on if they didn't have us to steal from?" <laughs> so, like, I mean, a, a lot of TV today is the way it is because of The Sopranos. Like, it's maybe the second most influential show that's ever aired, other than I Love Lucy. Mm-hmm. So, like, the la- the last twenty years of TV exists and has, you know, sort of adapted itself to be like this show. So, like, I'm, I would have to imagine what TV would look like if The Sopranos never existed and if it was coming up now. Because if it was coming up now and there were all these other anti-hero shows, I think there would be a lot of, oh, God, enough, another one of these. But I don't know that these shows would be here without it. Right. Well, even, I mean, listen, there are times when the language is a little rough, and I'm not just talking about F-words, obviously. Sure, no, they, um, they're racist, homophobic, right, it's everything. Right, they're yeah. terrible, terrible people. Yeah, that, and I always wonder, you know, that episode, too, where Ralphie uh, with the stripper, it, I mean, that's a rough yeah. scene. And oh, I, yeah. And I always wonder if, you know, if that was today, what would be, well, but I guess, you know, it was made and it's there, and... It's stupid, I guess, to speculate, but it it's this thing that goes on now with TV, it seems like. Um, any, in the book, I'm just curious, did you, for you writing the book, did it make you have a, a deep appreciation for the show? Or, is it, or was it just a job for you? How, did you come out no, of the no, show, looking to the show differently? I appreciation yeah. for the show, and again, it's, this is a very important show for me professionally as well as personally. Like, I love it. It's one of my favorites, but it also, like, it put me on the map as somebody who covers television. Right. So for that, it was important. But watching it again, it really did almost every part of it I wound up liking better than I did the first time. I mean, there's, there's a few things. You know, when Janice shoots Richie, there's no way that can be surprising now because I've seen it and it's also been copied a bunch of times. But, like, so much of it had even greater resonance for me than it did before. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. There's no surprises, but it, when you you're still riveted to it when you watch it. That's how I feel when I watch an episode now. Um, when when something is well made, surprise doesn't matter. And the problem is a lot of shows these days value surprise above all else, and they're not actually that good. Right. And so at a certain point, it just becomes you know exhausting. I guarantee you, if you watched The Sopranos when it was on, if you loved it, if you've even watched maybe watched it a second time, if you go back now and today you watch the episode with Silvio. Um, kills Adriana. You still—it's still a part of your brain where you're thinking, okay, maybe she won't get killed. Maybe she can escape this. I want her to escape this. I mean, that's yeah. how much it sucks you in. It—it it really does. And that episode was not easy to get through this time, even though yeah. I knew exactly what was going to happen and when. Right. All right. So it's the Sopranos sessions, January eighth. Uh, I look forward to it, and uh, I'll be sure to mention it again. Last question before I let you go: What is the single worst television program you've ever watched? Wow. Oh, my God. There, there's a lot. I mean, you know, 
people like, ooh, you get to watch TV for a living, and my response is, no, I have to watch TV for a living. So you get the good and the bad. The worst thing I've probably ever seen is something that that aired when I was a little kid, and I tracked it down. It came out on DVD when I was doing this as a job. It's called Pink Lady and Jeff. It was a variety show that NBC aired in the late 70s, and it was about like starring two female Asian pop stars, um, who did not speak a word of English. Oh and so they had to bring in a comedian named Jeff Altman to kind of co-host it with them. It's so terrible on every possible level. <laughs> and you can just see them flailing about trying to make this awful idea work, and it never, are, ever Are there clips on YouTube? I'm, I'm sure you can find a Pink Lady and Jeff clip on YouTube. Perfect. I will have to, I'll have to check that out. All right. Again, Alan Seppenwall, The Soprano Sessions, January 8th. I had a lot of fun with this. Thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it. Take care, Jimmy. Okay. Bye-bye. Today's episode of the SI Media Podcast is sponsored by Mac Weldon. Guys, Mac Weldon is better than whatever you're wearing right now. Mac Weldon is a premium men's essentials brand that believes in smart design and premium fabrics. Their mission is very simple. They want to make sure all of your basics and beyond are smartly designed and shopping for them is easy and convenient. Mack Weldon was founded because they wanted more out of the basics and always questioned how something so essential could be such a pain in the ass to buy. Very simple. Easy design, comfortable, make it easy to buy. It doesn't get better than that. Mack Weldon believes in smart design, premium fabrics, and simple Shopping. I went on the website, very easy to navigate, bought a couple of things, no pop-ups, everything runs smooth, everything runs quickly, it's all right there. Couldn't have been an easier checkout experience for me. Mac Weldon, they also will be the most comfortable underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, and sweatpants, and more that you will ever wear. They have a special line of silver underwear and shirts that are naturally antimicrobial. That means they eliminate odor, no smell. Everybody needs that, right? Especially in your shirts and your underwear. And they want you to be comfortable. So if you buy a nice pair of these silver underwear on the easy-to-use website and you don't like them, guess what? You can keep it and Mack Weldon will refund your money. No questions asked. Doesn't get better than that. Not only does Mack Weldon's underwear, socks, and shirts look good, they perform well too. Good for working out, going on a date, going to work, everyday life, laying around, comfortable. I bought a hoodie there, zip-up hoodie, and I bought a regular sweatshirt. Couldn't be more comfortable, soft, fits well. Can't recommend it enough. And again, with the underwear, if you don't like it, you keep it, and they refund you, no questions asked. And as a special gift, the SI Media Podcast listeners are getting 20% off your first order. All you have to do is visit MacWeldon.com and enter the promo code MEDIA. At checkout. Once again, SI Media Podcast listeners get 20% off your first order at Mac Weldon. Visit Mac Weldon, M A C K W E L D O N dot com and enter the promo code media at checkout. All right, joining me now, regular on the SI Media Podcast, getting some sports news, having uh, gone through some news items in a few weeks, and he is Andrew Marshan, the media reporter for the New York Post. Andrew, how are you? Sports media. I'm doing reporter. well. Sports media reporter, I should say. Yes, I'm doing well, Jimmy. How are you? I am well. Thank you for coming on. And uh, first things first. Anything from the NFL season jump out at you from a broadcasting announcer's standpoint? Two weeks into the I season. Think, yeah, I think number one. I mean, I think you start with Monday Night Football. 
and you know your opinion on that. I've been, um, I've written a couple of times now. I don't think the booger mobile is needed. I put booger in the booth if, uh, if you know, if I were ESPN, and it's up to you know they have their druthers that they're allowed to do that and go to a three-man booth with Rit- Witten and Tessator. Um and uh, you know that that'd be number one. I think that sticks out because that's the biggest change. Um, you know, number two, I think Romo's done well so far. You know, you know, I think Romo and Nance. I think that chemistry is something to watch. If, you know, how how good is that chemistry? You know, is 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 Nance making Romo better, is, or is Romo uh, just really good on his own? I think that's an interesting thing to look at. Um, and then beyond that, I mean, I think uh, it's a lot of status quo. Yeah, nothing. I I, I agree with you. At- totally about booger mcfarlane i don't understand why they have to here's the this is my issue you want to put him in a crane or whatever a ladder or a chair whatever whatever it is that's fine go ahead knock yourself out it's put a him where it's a booger it's a booger cart whatever whatever stupid thing you call it. put him in whatever you want it's fine okay. but can you not then show me that 50 times during the why can't espn no matter what sport why can't they just show the game that's what, i mean i know why they do it i totally get why they do it they're trying to get in the fringe fan and not the but they but do the gimmick, Jimmy. You make a good point, though. That doesn't work. I know because if it doesn't, if you're gonna you're gonna get the fringe fan in with a good game, that's what's gonna get the fringe fan in. And we can talk about contraptions. We can talk about you know good segments during a game. But ultimately, if you have a good game, now the announcers can help. You know, I I I, I like soccer a lot, and I know that there's a variance of announcers. Um, and you can and I could just see how there's a certain announcers that make the game more exciting. They can bring people in and that can help as the game gains momentum. But ultimately you have to have the contest on the field that, that brings that you can't force it. It's contrived. And what it does is it turns off your most vocal and passionate fans. And they'll probably still watch, but if you don't want to get killed on Twitter, that's the, is the, you should appeal to the really passionate fans, but make it broad enough uh, so that the non-passionate fan can understand it, you know, if not uh, enjoy it as much, because they're not paying attention as closely as someone who, like you, who's a, who's a diehard. It, it's not as bad as, say, the Sunday night baseball game. That's completely unwatch. It's an unwatchable telecast. And I don't mean because of the booth. When I say that, people automatically think of the booth. It's not the booth, although the booth has issues. It's the telecast. They don't show you the game. Monday Night Football is not as bad because it's football. they got to show you play after play. There's not as much downtime. But, again, if you want to put Booger McFarlane in a chair that's elevated or whatever the hell it is, fine, do it. You don't then have to show it to me 50 times during the game. I got it. It's okay. Good. He's in the chair. Now, can we just— Nobody can really—and I've talked to a lot of people before they started. Nobody's really articulated really why it's better. And, and why no one else does it. Because it's a gimmick. It has nothing to do with Fox, being better. Yeah, it's a gimmick, yeah. yeah. Fox kind of did it with Saragusa. ESPN's quick to say it's not the same thing. Even though it is the same thing, Booger has a different personality than Saragusa, so that's, right. that's the difference. But it's the same thing, uh, basically. I mean, the, the Booger cart um, is pretty extravagant, although there are years where Saragusa's um, contraption, um, while different in okay, the end zone, was pretty sophisticated as well. So um, I just I think you have to ask yourself after how many years have we had uh, Monday Night Football since what the early '70s, and you've had football on TV for longer than that. Uh, why no one else has done this? Huh. And I just think when you try, if you're trying to be smarter than everyone else, um, 
you know, sometimes that can work, but most times than not, uh, there's smart people who've, who've broadcast these games before and, you know, have chosen not to do this. So, um, so yeah, I don't think it really works. Now, what what do you make of the ratings so far? They seem to be, for two weeks in, all over the place. I guess Sunday afternoons have been fine, even up a little bit here and there. CBS, I think, has been up bigger than Fox. Primetime seems to be down. Monday night's been down, I know, big. Sunday night. Uh, how do we sum up ratings after two weeks? Yeah, I think it's too small, the sample size, to really totally sum it up. So, I mean, I could just throw theories out that I don't know really have much meaning to them. I mean, I think perhaps, you know, you – I don't know. I actually – I don't know. I, I do Because there's a lot of choices on Sunday, you know, we've talked about in terms of consumption and your phone and not watching the game traditionally. Um, there's the same thing now. I will say with those standalone games – on the on the prime time slot, uh, perhaps that's where uh, people, you know, when they they're not, it's not as much appointment TV. Um, but that said, you know, those those the uh, the window late for Fox and CBS have done really well. So so I guess you know you can't really draw um, major conclusions. I don't think as of why that's happening, but I do think. Um, it's overrated about Kaepernick and all that other stuff. I yeah. just think that uh, I think that football, it, it's kind of it, these things go in cycles, and I think there is uh, there is a feeling that you know, football is not that as interesting. But I do think I know you're a big fan of this, Jimmy. That if gambling does take hold around the you know in the states, you know, most of the states have gambling, um, then I think that will be a big boost to TV and the ratings. We'll get to that. Um... One of the things that's funny, though, is, you know, the NFL and the networks bend over backwards and do everything they can to try to get, quote unquote, good games in the primetime windows for Monday night football, Sunday night. The bottom line, the best games are still always on Sunday afternoons. I mean, however, you know, Green Bay, Minnesota. Well, those, windows week, are, those are valued. I mean, Fox and, yeah, well, they should and be. CBS, they fight for those windows as well. Now, they, one thing you have to look at is. Again, I'm not like I told you before. I, ratings to me, I don't know. People listening, I get it. We have a lot of insiders listening. I don't know. They are what they are. I, I don't find them terribly interesting. But your podcast, your rules. The one thing I will say oh, is, um, that, but here's one interesting thing. Semi-interesting, but not that interesting thing. I, I will tell you is that you know Fox has moved some of their top games to Thursday night to make that Thursday night package even more appealing and try to make that a must-watch. So. That's something to watch now when, uh, not this week, but the following week, uh, Thursday night goes to Big Fox, and maybe they're, you know, the back end of those doubleheaders at 425, you're not getting that best game of the week. I don't know. We'll see what happens to the ratings there. It's going to be, I can't, I'm going to be, oh my God, I'm going to be refreshing constantly Monday morning to find out, though. Listen. I get you're not into the ratings, and you know you have bigger fish to fry like Mike's app. But we'll get we'll get to that in due time. Let's, you know, we got a national audience here. We got to take care of. Um, I okay, do. Fine. It is funny. Well, we don't want to bore them though. We don't want to bore them with ratings and which theories about that we really don't know. Well, in terms of why the ratings are up or down. Here's the funny thing though. Yeah. The Thursday night game this week again is NFL Network only. It is not on Fox. But they're still going to have Buck and Aikman and Aaron Andrews and Christina Pink do the game. And I, I, if you gave Buck and Aikman some truth serum or hooked them up to a lie detector test and said, are you pumped up to do Jets-Browns? don't think the answer would be yes. No, but I would say I don't know how Buck's contract 
worked out, but I'd say they, probably they, getting somewhere between one and two hundred thousand dollars extra per game. Yeah. So yes, does he want to be in wherever that game is? You know, Cleveland, Cleveland Jets on a Thursday, and he, and I know Aikman likes his schedule a certain way. And this is you know something an adjustment for him. But bottom line is he's getting paid pretty well to to do. You know, most of us if they ask us to do another day of work, you know. You, eight, you know, whatever, 16 more games. Uh, it's probably less than that, actually. Like, 10 more games because they're not doing as many Sundays. Um, you'll get, a, you know, a couple million dollars. So, yeah. yes, you're right, but at the end of the day, um, you know, it's a financial situation as well. Right. No, Buck and Aikman did get more money to do the Thursday night game. It's just funny to me that they're using them on games. Like, for instance, they did the Thursday night game last week, um, which was Baltimore-Cincinnati, and then they didn't call a game on Sunday, and yep. it just so happens that this week they're going to do the again. They're doing the NFL Network game, and it's Jets Browns. Um, things that I haven't. I don't think I've had a. Ha, I haven't really gotten into the ESPN, the state of ESPN since the Jamel Hill, Michelle Beadle get up revamped. All that thing has has been going on. Uh, it's been a few weeks. Things seem to have settled now for ESPN here. Um, but, you know, they, they did the sly thing where they dropped the news on like a Friday night and a Saturday night. Let's start with um, Get Up. The, sh- the ratings have gone up since football has started, which you don't care about ratings, but I figured I'd throw that out there. No, that's significant, but yeah. that's to be expected as well. Do you Have you seen any difference in the show with Beatle out? It's a smoother show. It's, it's Sports Center um, without the name. Right. Greenberg's the star, and it's built around him. More highlights. Um, it makes you think that maybe by January they just change the name and call it Sports Center. Uh, I, I don't think that's I don't think that's impossible to imagine that happening uh, because that's basically what they're doing, except they're losing the brand name um, and have some name that's fine, but it doesn't really add much. So. Um, that's one thing, and the show is fine. I, I think here's the bigger issue. It's you know we can talk about Mike Greenberg, we can talk about Michelle Beadle, and how bad that chemistry was, um, and how you know how unintelligent that pairing was. But it's really, really hard to cut through. You know, you love a show like Good Morning Football, which which I you know checked out, and I think is is good. It's a good show, but it's still not doing great numbers. Now it's on NFL Network right. compared to ESPN. It just it's a hard it just it's harder to just build these shows up and if you don't have that legacy uh, beginning like if you're a sports center you have you know 30 years in the bank with people and granted the audience is going down you know in, largely over time if you compare the percentage of the um, of the audience um, of what they were getting and now what they they do get um, but still you you have that brand loyalty. That it's really hard with a new show to, to build up, and then even with SportsCenter, they 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 brought it back and they revived it a little bit, where the ratings have gone up in the last year in comparison. But it's still, if it was a new show right now, would really have a chance of real success. I tend to doubt it. It's a legacy show, and uh, that helps it greatly. Yeah, and listen, Good Morning Football. I mean, I was on it from the beginning, but I don't think people really started to notice that show in, in, until recently too. It took them time to get. Uh, some traction, and now they seem to be getting a lot of traction, especially within the NFL. It's very big within the NFL. If you're not an NFL fan, you know it's different. Whereas ESPN, any you know, you're an NBA fan, you'll tune in. You're an NFL fan, you'll tune in. 
baseball, blah, blah, blah. I knew, I knew good morning football was going to be good. I knew Peter Schrager when he was five. I said he's going to be a good host. Save the Mike stuff. Well, Schrager was on with Mike for a while, but we'll get to Mike's app. Don't worry. He I loves that. People, Schrager's the, like the uh, that guy on Facebook. Schrager, listen, I give Schrager credit. That guy does that Good Morning Football in New York Monday through Friday. Flies to L.A. to do the Fox pre pregame show, and then he's back in New York Monday to do Good Morning Football. Yep. So he's a he's not a star now. He's a future star. He's a worker. One more thing on get up. I don't know if I'll get an answer out of you on this. You have you have very good sources in Bristol. You seem to be plugged in and tuned into Bristol, Connecticut. Um, were there any off the record rumblings about people there being unhappy with the way Michelle Beadle handled her departure? I mean, first it came out that she never wanted to I do say this. Bristol, I was like generally in the business. Well, let me just I mean, let me just give the let me give the background yeah. before you. First, yeah. it came out that she didn't really want to ever do get up, but then she kept saying no till I guess they threw a ton of money at her. Then she said yes. Then obviously the show was a disaster and didn't work. And then they made the move, and I guess she posted something like, you know, I'm out of here, can't wait, or so happy to be. Out. I don't know, whatever. It was not handled, let's say, uh, in the most graceful way. Um, but w- w- what have you heard about that? Yeah, look, there are people who know her well who swear by Michelle Beadle, and then there's others who will say. This is two strikes. She went to NBC, took a big contract there, and things didn't go the way she wanted to. And there are people at NBC who, you know, have told me, you know, they've worked with, you know, you name the people they've worked with in terms of big names, high maintenance, that that she was the worst person to work with that they've ever had. And then in this situation, um, same thing. Now, I can't blame Michelle Beadle when they offer, they keep offering you more money. Eventually you say yes. Right. But it, it, just, it was ill-conceived by ESPN. To me, when you keep offering more and more money and you don't, uh, and they don't, and someone doesn't want the job, especially that job where you have to get up at three thirty in the morning, you can't, um, you can't expect them to be really motivated. Right. Uh, so, and she was, and, and it was pretty apparent that she wasn't, and it didn't work with Greenberg. So, you know, again, she's a talented broadcaster, but it is a little bit buyer beware. Um, because of these two strikes where uh, things haven't she, – she's taken jobs where she's either known before or, or has had the job and decided she didn't like it. And, um, and you know, to me, uh, it's a combination. It's partly her fault. Though, but that is a professionalism that you want to have that, to make it work. All right, but um, were people – did you hear any rumblings about people being unhappy when she left and then she posted whatever she posted, the picture? and? Yeah, I didn't talk to anybody when she posted that. I know that there are people – there are people who are like, there's, there's other people who say, hey, look, she got her money, um, and good for her. She got what she wanted. She got to LA, LA and you know what? That's what um, she wanted, and so uh, um, they don't falter. And then there are others who think, you know what, it's, um, you know, it's wrong. But, but again, I, and, but let me just say the bottom line, I don't really blame her in a lot of respects because of their poor management from John Skipper, um, basically, to, to hire somebody for a show where you have to wake up so early in the morning who's not fully invested in that show. Right. And the mostly the last thing is the carrot for most people is money. And, like, you try to get success, you can get more money. But they all those people already got the money. So, right. or with a, I mean, again, they, unless they didn't want to be successful, they did. But that life, if you living that life, that morning show life, I don't care how much money you make. It's difficult. Yeah. It's an early in the morning job where your life is 
screwed up, regardless of if it's great or not. It's just you have to. It's a, it takes a, a special breed to do it, um, and you need to have success to really want to keep doing it. No doubt about it. Um, I am a gambler, and I was expecting all of these sports media companies and networks, et cetera, to beef up on their gambling content once the Supreme Court ruling uh, came down. But even I'm surprised by just how many gambling shows we now have and how how much um, people are – these companies are going all in on it. Are you, have you been following it? Do you pay? Are you paying attention to any of this? Uh, to how much gambling content, gambling shows are out there now, or is it not on your radar? I don't pay attention to media. Yeah, yeah of course I follow it, Jimmy. I mean, I'm well, not, do you think it's? I, I are you su- are you surprised by how much is out there already? No, I'm not. I think that these networks. I think you. I think there's an advantage in being first to these things if you can establish a show. And so, you know, FS1 has gone in with the. Uh, um, with their show with you know Clay Travis and uh, cousin Sal, um, who else is on that show? Exactly, um, you can't even finish the cast. Keep going. What, what <laughs> do you want me to do? I, I well, that, I think you're on, making my I point. Her name. She's on the World Cup coverage. Rachel, I don't know. I don't Banana, know. Is that her last name? I, I, anyway, no. um, the um, so. No, I'm not surprised at all that they're doing this because gambling is going to be is going to eventually. Um, if it's passed in the States and we're still a ways off, it's eventually going to be a big part of how we watch games, regardless if you like it or not, if you're gambling or not. It's going to be how it's talked about a lot of times, and it's a way where there's going to be growth. Again, this is a larger question, not really a TV question. The States have to do this right. You know, you were big. I saw on Twitter about the – the um, which fantasy site is it that they, they're not paying out the $80,000? FanDuel. Yeah, FanDuel. So – if they don't do these things right, it's not going to work, and people just the real gamblers will just go with their bookies that they've always bet with. But eventually, the person like me who doesn't gamble might go if you know to a local casino, open up an account, and they can do it online. And might check out Browns Jets and says, you know, you know what, I'm going to get a little more uh, juice into this game for me and put a, put some money down. So. Um, I know. So I know yeah, so I'm not surprised at all. Yeah, and I know. I guess ESPN is. Are, they're doing gambling shows. I think on their ESPN Plus app is a way to sort of beef that up, which makes sense. Um, I, it doesn't I get, make sense. It doesn't, make, it doesn't sense? make sense. How come? I don't really think so. No. Why not? Because are you really going to go to? Are you going to pay for ESPN? I'm not saying they shouldn't do it. I mean, any programming's fine, but I'm sure that's not a big cost, you know, to them um, in terms of that show. But if you've never watched a show. Are you really going to subscribe to ESPN Plus to watch this if you're a big gambler? I mean, this is I mean, still – now, I will say this. If you have ESPN Plus, the more they offer you, kind of like Netflix, the more content, the better, and they want you to spend as much time on ESPN Plus. So in that regard, it does. But I'm not going to even think this, but the, the idea that that's bringing people to ESPN Plus I think is hard to fathom. I think I some of these games bring people in. I don't, I don't think it's bringing people there, but I think it's – I think – that listen, me personally, I wouldn't pay for anything. Period. But if you are, what do you, mean, you wouldn't pay for anything in terms of like on a sports app? No, there's nothing in sports I'd pay for. You will one day. What do you mean? You already do pay for stuff. You have cable. You have Directv. You pay for everything. I'm talking about an app or, or 
you know, ESPN Plus or whatever. Like, I, I'm not paying for any of that. Like, if, if you put NFL games on there and I have no choice, I'd pay for it. But there's not a show that you could put on there. That but, I, but that's what they're doing, though. But, but Jimmy, you guys, maybe it's not stuff you like, but if you're a, well, that's my point. a fan I, of soccer and you love Champions League and you want to see every game, you got to pay for BR Live. Right. If you, you know, an English soccer fan and you like the FA Cup, but I'm not, uh, you got to pay for ESPN Plus. I'm not talking about games. I'm talking about shows. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. Right, sorry about that. Yeah. I'm but I, my show. You pay for my we'll get to, show. Believe me, we will okay, get to sorry. that app. We will get to that app momentarily. <laughs> no, no, but my point sorry, is... I can't bring up... I think there's like a rundown. You can't bring up certain things. Well, listen, you can bring up Mike's app all you want. I'm just saying we I we will devote... We'll get to it. All right. But we're just having some fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Impersonations. The only impersonation... I'm terrible at impersonations. That's the only one I can do. It's a good it's one. It's probably not even good. No, it's pretty good. My only thing it's about, right. I was just, listen, like Barstool has a gambling show. It's once a week. Like, that's fine. I think that, but for FS1. To yeah, that do, one, see, again, I, I don't, Barstool is still controversial, but I will say what some of their stuff does is funny with the Barstool stuff because they're kind of making fun of the whole Well, thing. my point is they have a show. It's once a week. I think it's on Sundays. Okay, that's fine. That makes sense. But for FS1 to do a show five days a week, I think it's just absurd. But it's FS1. I wouldn't expect them to, I mean, you know, it's FS1. What more needs to be said, really? Um what I understand? What, why? What, 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 I don't understand. What does that mean? Well, that I mean, they, I mean, they, it's not like they have anything that anyone. I mean, Skip Bayless they have, and then what? Jason Whitlock, and now a five day week gambling show. I mean, uh, yeah, they're doing. I mean, look, I yeah, but they're building. No, they're not from the ground up. I mean, I don't know. They've been around for like three or four years. They're not building anything anymore. Do you want? What do you say? You think they should challenge ESPN after three or four years? No, I think they should put something good on. What would you program? Not that. Give me one example of something in program. Well, what they, if you know what FS1 would have done if they were smart, they yeah. were, if they were smart, they would have gotten in bed with Barstool and put on Barstool stuff. Um, but ever, no, you're not, you know, if you say that, people freak out. But the bottom line is, the Barstool audience is more valuable than whatever whoever's watching uh, Jason Whitlock or Skip Bayless, and that's not many people. Yeah, maybe you're right. Well, maybe that would be a program decision you would make. And maybe is. they'll switch to that. All right. I know you want to talk about Mike's app. First things first. Here's the thing about Mike Mike Frances's app. It the thing that sucks about it is we'll never know how many people have the app. That number will never come out. Yeah, there's and I will say this before you get to the whole thing. There is a site I claims he has no view. And I have to check out. I can't even remember what it's called, but people have emailed it to me. Yeah, but I, I will check out to see. There's no, I haven't done it yet. It's not going to be real. To see what the, what, the, if, what the credibility level of this site is. Yeah. But, I mean, I think we all can, we all know that there's, there's it's very unlikely that he's doing well with this now, app. What kind of sports media columnist, critic, reporter can you be if you don't have the app? Well, here's the thing. He does. He does. Well, here's the thing. He does 16 and a half, wait, let's see, what is it, three and a half hours a day? Right, so six, but 17 and a half hours of free radio a week. Right. Okay? Mm-hmm. Do you think I listen to all 17 and a half hours? If, if, you, were, if you were thorough, you would. Well, how do I make calls for stuff? I, mean, I can't just listen and watch everything. And then there's the, you know, this is very inside, but the, the Twitter feed Funhouse. 
he is right. You know, listening have... to every little thing, and then right. if there's something important, you'll hear. So that's one thing. And then secondly, the the biggest issue, and why I really wrote a column ripping it for eight ninety nine. I think Mike could maybe have a successful app. This just isn't it. I agree. He's not offering anything. Well, he's he has... offering the show on video that's already free. Okay, and it's a, a you'd have to watch it on either your iPad or your um, phone. It'd be very hard to get it on a big screen. No, it's not impossible. You can get it on it, but it would take a, some work. Okay, and that's again, you don't want to make people work to 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 give you money. So that's number one. Number two is he's offering you. One show on Saturday that he kind of doesn't really even do so far, it seems like. And then he does the Sunday show about the NFL where he's talked about the NFL all week. So why would you give him eight ninety nine? Plus, who and can, then he talked about who can who can. And then he talked about. So here's so you see, to answer your question is, what am I? I mean, yeah, I guess I can get a seed and put in for it or whatever, but it just doesn't really seem like uh, there's a need. Like I know, I mean, like am I going to listen to it on a Sunday morning? Hey, you know what I mean? I'm not going to well, listen to the show. I've already heard. It's impossible to find an NFL pregame show on a Sunday morning. So maybe. Here, that's a good point. Nah, that's a good point. I didn't think about that. That's an untapped market. My. Eddie, you're, you, that's <laughs> an untapped market. There's no free. There's nothing here. You can't. For nine bucks, you cannot find a pre. And here's the other thing. And this is the thing where we're going to be interesting where this goes. Is that. Is Mike really going to get the guest that he wants to? I mean, is, is the Green Bay Packers coach going to come on like he wants to do at the end show, you know, when they taped it during the week? I, I just can't imagine if you're the Green Bay Packers PR guy and, um, you know, they call you up and they say, we'd like to have uh, uh, Mike McCarthy well, on. I'll put him on the fan. Say, well, what's your listenership? Well, we have, you know, we have uh, 300 people who downloaded this app. Um, oh, you're, you're, saying, you're saying to get guests for the Sunday morning show. Sunday morning show. How do you get guests? Right. Well, he usually, from what I remember in years past, he'd have them on during the week and then replay it on the Sunday morning show when he was on well, FAN. Well, but... I mean, maybe Sims does. You know, maybe I some people know. do it. But but is the person who, but is the coach, I mean, I'm not saying even that's appealing to right. me. Look, here's the thing for me, quite honestly. I listen to these shows two things. I enjoy them, but I listen to them to be entertained, um, and then it's part of my job. Because, like, listening to talk radio, for me, is not something that if it weren't part of my job, I think I would do regularly because I like to learn things. And I'm not saying these shows aren't entertaining and good in some regards, but for the most part, not all of them, not, certainly not all of them. I mean, get clear. There are people who are experts on certain subjects that they talk about. But for the most part, most of the people who do talk shows do not know what they're talking about, you know, specific, you know, in terms of the really nitty-gritty. They, they, they can have an opinion, of course. But do they really know what they're talking about? For the most part, they don't. They know what they've read, and then they form an opinion, so it can be an informed opinion. But it's not like I'm getting some expertise in general. I hope someone who hears this sends that soundbite to Mike. That would be great. My well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. You know, everyone kills CMB. I haven't. This is. I've given this to you before. Not that this is such a big deal. But I actually am thinking about maybe writing something about CMB. And if you really want to know about football, I think I, again, I'm not there yet, so I'm not saying you're going to even write this. But I'm, because I'm saying it, so it's just the same thing. But it may be a better show to listen to after a game. On my, Maggie Gray is excellent on football. Carlin's good on football, and Bart Scott is the best person on FAN on football. So. You know, if you really want to know what's going on in insight into football, it's a better show than Mike. And I know that's going to be blasphemy for the Mike fans, but give it a listen in comparison. And I think you get a lot about football that you don't get um, 
that, you know, and, and especially with Bart, he has some expertise and Maggie and, and, and Chris are good on, are good on it. You know what I mean? And, and Bart's excellent. Obviously Bart's terrible on baseball, but, um, but I think this time of year for football, he, he, he's a plus player on that show. And you have to give it a chance. And you have to pay CMB $9 a month too. And you have to pay $9. That's the yeah. other thing. Um, you know, you, I just was thinking about it though. I actually think, um, I see Fox has a pregame. They have two pregame shows. ESPN has about seven pre. I actually think there may be other pregame shows mm-hmm. on Sunday mornings besides Mike's app show. That might NFL, be on Tap Market. NFL Network comes on the, the CBS. They have the other pregame show. It's like <laughs> seven in the morning. The like NFL, yeah. Obviously, I think most people got it, but there's about eight trillion yeah. NFL pregame shows, of course. My favorite thing about the Mike's app so far is, and I haven't listened to Mike, but my favorite thing, I saw a clip where, and I saw a clip from, I guess, two weeks ago, whatever, where he, on the, I guess on the FAN show, was ranting and raving and ripping all the people for having so much misinformation about the app. I think he was talking about you, I'm sure. And people have criticized yeah. the app. They don't know what they're talking about. Everyone has these opinions. No one knows about the app. They don't know what we're planning. They don't know what we're doing on it. And it's like, well, it's a shame Mike doesn't have a platform to clear the record and to maybe give the correct information on what the app is. Yeah, and here's the thing about Mike. And look, he's an interesting person to cover, and he's a legend uh, in New York radio. But I will say, if you look since I've been back in February, everything he said, like not everything's been proven correct that I've reported. And I will pull a mic here. I actually had heard John Yashemsky was going to be part of the app. I don't think I ever reported it. So I heard that. didn't report it. I did. But bottom line is. But what does um, he do? What does John Yashemsky do on the app? He does like, he like hosts with Mike on Saturdays. And Mike, so Mike's on that app every Saturday? I mean, I don't think, again, I'm not on the app. So I believe, but it's like for an hour. Jeez. Not like a full show. I mean, and here's the thing, though, for Mike, and this is the thing that I, why it's kind of ill-conceived in terms of how this all was done, going back to FAN. Number one, if he hadn't gone back to FAN and just did the app and even charged eight ninety nine, there might have been a business there. I agree. Because people would be hungry for it. There's no hunger for it. Secondly, he retired, and again, he did say he wanted to work. But now, in theory, he's working seven days a week. And he's on call seven days, like twenty four hours. No, he's I'm, not really doing that. I'm, he's charging people eight ninety nine, and he's come on like once or twice after games. And even like the David Wright thing, um, you know, it seems like somewhere in that hierarchy, I uh, mean, you know, it hurt him to uh, um, to write, you know, play his play a game, even though he didn't have the retirement portion of it in his tweet. But wouldn't that have been a time to go on the app and talk about it right away? Now, oh, he didn't do that. Oh, so he, he had a show later that day. Um, but it was going to be back to the show later that day. But the bottom line is, what's the? What, why would you pay eight ninety nine if you don't even come on after a big story like that? You've, you've just told me a million things that are completely blowing my mind. I cannot believe Mike on a Saturday on his day off is doing a show on the app. Number one, even if it's only for an hour, and you're telling me he broke the David Wright story on Twitter and not on his app. Exactly. My God. You're like, why would you say I got breaking news on the app? And people are dying now. And the problem is, of course, and we all thought about this, because trust me, I thought about, you know, if I ever could do something on my own. Um, the issue is, is that if he breaks on the app, you know, Funhouse or the other 12 people who have the app, 
you know, find out and they put it on Twitter and then all of a sudden everyone knows it. And secondly, there's great reporters who cover the team. And thirdly, he didn't get the full story because he didn't have the retirement portion of it. Well, here's the um, other thing, too. But, here's the other thing, too. If he breaks that on the app, too, don't you think FAN's going to be a little pissed? Yeah, that's a little problem. You think, he, you think FAN also wants Mike to, to give his huge rant? I mean, he's not doing it, but it's like the Giants are terrible Sunday night. In theory... Mike Shanahan, the way he was selling the app is like everything's instant, so he should have been on after just killing the Giants. Instead, at 3 o'clock the next day, I wrote it. Again, all due respect to anybody who has this, but the headliner said you have to be a fool to buy the app. Yeah, you do. I mean, I'm not saying that Mike couldn't have an app that you'd want, but the app is, again, it's, so you, some people have a lot of money. I mean, if you have endless money, it's like, all right, whatever, I'll give Mike $9. It's not like he's some up and color. Um, who, who needs the money? Right. He's just kind of, you know, if he if he went at you know three ninety nine even less than four ninety nine, um, I think he'd be doing okay. But right. again, the biggest issue is he's not offering anything. What is he offering? So you're telling me, he's, son, he's so offering. you're telling me on Sunday night after the Giants get killed by the Cowboys, Mike doesn't go on the app and do anything? No, oh. no, he doesn't do anything. Right. Well. Well, he hasn't yet. I mean, he hasn't right. yet. But the bottom line is, you don't know about my app. You don't even know these people talk. They don't even know what they're talking about about my app. No one knows what we're going to do. And there's no app. way to clear it up. And also, at 64 years old, right? Who just retired? Quotes. Um, like, do you really? Why do you want to even do this? Like, what's the point? Well, that's that's what I'm saying. I can't believe on a Saturday afternoon he's doing a show on the app. I just can't. It blows my mind away. But right. he doesn't really do it that much. So he's like, yeah, it blows your mind that he would want to do this, and it blows your mind that he doesn't actually do it. So the people who are paying to do it um, aren't really getting much value, doesn't seem to me. Now, if you want to see Mike all week on the video, you know, the same shot, I guess that might be valuable to people. If you have a good amount of money and you can afford $100 to do that, then I could see it. All right, we've covered the app thoroughly, all for free, on the SI Media <laughs> Podcast, and I will uh, look forward to having you on again in a few weeks, and you can give us an update on the app. All right. All right. Thanks, Andrew. Appreciate it. All right, Jimmy. Talk to you well. soon. All right. My thanks to Alan Seppenwall and Andrew Marshan for this fun edition of the SI Media Podcast. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Hope you guys did, too. Next week, ESPN Monday Night Football play-by-play man Joe Tessitore will be on the SI Media Podcast. Looking forward to that, and we'll see you next week with that interview. Take care. Do you know about the Locked On Podcast Network, the number one daily sports podcast network? Locked On has a daily podcast on every NBA and NFL team, plus a growing lineup of college and MLB teams. You get a daily bite-sized podcast giving you the latest on your team from the local experts. Lakers fans, search Locked On Lakers. Cowboys fans, search Locked On Cowboys. Just search Locked On, your favorite team, on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, or tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked On, your favorite team. Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, 
Call 1-800-GAMBLER. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.